Well, good morning. So nice to be with you. Want to greet a special segment of our attendance here this morning. Those of you under, uh, I was going to say under the age of second grade, not sure how to say it. Um, Want to welcome you kids who would normally be in children's church. Thank you for being with us. Uh, Want to remind you kids that you're here because we believe that uh, God has something for you. We also believe that you have something for him and for us as you participate in what's happening. And there's a couple rules we have. Does anyone remember the rules for being in the service? Yes, young lady. Yes, listening. Very good. That's right. So we want you to listen. We want you to draw and the drawings that are requested, uh, answer the questions that are asked. If you need help, you can whisper to a parent or to any adult that's sitting next to you, quiz these, these folks you happen to be sitting next. Um, and uh, we ask you not to get up, though, out of your seat uh, and walk around or anything like that unless I call you up. And so I'm going to read now the scriptures from Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20. This can be found on page 3 of your worship guide. And I would ask all of you, adults and kids, to listen now with open ears as I read from this, the book that we love. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on him, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together for a moment. Oh, Lord, our God, we come to this time and we sit under these words. And Lord, I recognize uh, that as we come, we do no doubt come from all sorts of various places. Lord, I thank you especially for these kids uh, who have come in here with us, um, who have their entire lives ahead of them. Lord, I thank you for those present with us today that are closer to meeting you uh, as we are getting old in life and um, ready for uh, whatever is coming next. And Lord, I pray now for those of us who have come in this room and our lives are full of joy. I pray also for those who have come in here and our lives are full of despair and brokenness and difficulty. Lord, I pray for those of us who have come in here believing in you, trusting in you, desiring to know more about you. And I pray for those of us who are here who are not sure what we think about you. I pray also even for those of us who are here uh, and we most certainly do not believe in you. I want to pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, uh, whether we come here 
uh, in joy or in sadness, whether we come here in faith or with much doubt, uh, whether we come in here confessing Christ uh, or declaring ourselves to be agnostic. I pray, O oh God, that you would give us grace to see and in the way that matters the most, that we all come ultimately the same. All of us, from the youngest child to the most uh, senior saint, have all entered this room with a profound need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And Lord, my prayer is that you would do that uh, in, this in these moments, that you would do that with power, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. I especially want to welcome the kids. Uh, kids, I wonder, do any of you know what this season is called? We're in a season right now, young men. Football season? Sorry, what's that? It's called fall. Yes, we are in fall. Very good. There's another holiday season. Does anyone know what holiday season? Young lady. Advent. Yes. And Advent is kind of code for the, uh, the Advent of Christ or the coming of Christ, which has a really popular holiday. Does anyone know what this really popular holiday is called? It's called Christmas. Has anyone ever heard of Christmas? Okay. So now, no one's heard of this. So I want to tell you kids, there's something really special about Christmas. You know what it is? This is the time where your parents ask you to ask them for things. Okay? So if, you don't, if you've never heard of this, you're missing out. All right? So I wonder, who, any of you kids, who here is asking for something really special? Who's asking for something really extraordinary, really special? Young man, an Xbox. That is really special. That is really... Now, are you asking for just the Xbox or any games too? Maybe a couple games. All right. Well, now, if you get it, will, will pastors be invited to come and experience this with you? No? Okay. <laughs> well... So Christmas is a time where uh, we are invited to ask for really special things. And, you know, in-laws are special people. Amen? <laughs> in-laws are special people. And, you know, I have had a, a really uh, special relationship with the only in-law I have now, my mother-in-law. She's not here today. Is she? And she is a special person and enjoys doing special things. And so one year we had a child who was asking for something he wanted and he wasn't sure what to ask for. So my mother-in-law thought that she would make a suggestion to him. He happened to be a Star Wars fan, right? And so she said, this is what you should ask for. You should ask for the force. <laughs> so he did, right? And Chrissy worked hard to deliver that. Um, but, you know, it's funny because, uh, you know, she, she is a special person, right, and does special things. But on one hand, on one hand, I wonder, what is it that you've stopped asking for in life, right? What is it that you've stopped asking for? And I don't actually want to talk to the adults now. So kids, while I'm talking to the adults, I want you to write down or draw pictures of three things that you want, Right, this will be really interesting. You're welcome, parents, by the way. Okay, you're welcome. This is what, this is what you get for you know, coming to Ironworks, free services. All right, but I want to talk to you adults now, okay? 
I want to ask you in your minds to answer this question. What three things do I want from the hands of the Lord this season? What three things would I love from the hands of the Lord? It's okay to ask for the force, by the way. Okay. So as I have thought about that for myself, I've uh, reflected on this year, and uh, what I've been saying all year uh, remains true, and that's that what I desire so deeply is to experience a movement of God's power in our town, and then specifically in and through you. I desire a movement of God's power uh, in our town, and specifically in and through you. And I desire it so that the mission of my ministry that I say all the time, all the time, right? That I, I minister, that I'm here to see and to seek an increase of your joy in God. I desire a movement of his power because I believe that the deepest joy that you can experience as a Christian believer is the joy of experiencing God's power in a profound way. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the absence of joy that some of us feel, right? So if you're here and, you know, some of you, some of us, particularly the holiday season, actually with all that I'm saying, actually the holiday seasons for some of us are like the hardest seasons of the year, right? Some of us, this is the most difficult time, the time where we lack the most joy. And I've been thinking about those of you who are in a season in your lives, and perhaps because of where we are in the calendar, you lack a profound degree of joy. For some of you, even um, your lack of joy has reached the level of wondering whether you still believe the claims of Christianity. Others of you are here and no doubt uh, do not believe the claims of Christianity, um, and perhaps you're curious. Some of you are convinced uh, that they are not true. Uh, and I want to invite all of us, wherever we fall on this spectrum, Right? Whether we are children, just looking ahead to December 25th, whether we are a longtime believers in Christianity, Christ, whether we're not sure or whether we are sure on the other place, I want us to ask this question, what is it that we want from Jesus Christ, from the hands of Christ? Uh, it's interesting where we find ourselves today. Uh, one commentator was pointing out that it used to be, at a season in American history, it used to be that if you wanted to be taken seriously as a person, right, in a community, that you needed to be part of a church, right? And, and there might still be places in the country where that's true, where if you want to be taken seriously in the community and respected, if you want to run for office, that you need to be part of a church, right? That used to be the case, you know, more generally. Now, if you want to be part of a church, especially in certain industries and in certain places in the country, it will cost you, right? For some of you, even it could cost you dearly. There's, a, of course, a really um, kind of popular news story going on right now about a girl named Isabella Chow, who was a senator in her university out in, in the West Coast. And she uh, voted, or actually abstained to vote, I believe, on a motion that came before the student body that concerned kind of uh, sexuality issues and she abstained to vote, is what I understood. And uh, she has received an overwhelming amount of hate mail uh, sent her way, primarily because of her voting her conscience uh, with respect to Christian teaching. 
And she's an example, perhaps a more extreme example, but she's an example of what the reality is for Christians uh, in today's culture. If you claim Christ, if you claim Christian teaching, if you identify with uh, what the Bible teaches now, whereas before it used to actually be of an advantage to you in culture and in business and in politics even, now it's becoming more of a cost. And so it begs this question, why are you a Christian? Right now, more so than before, there's a cost to identifying as a Christian. And it will then, therefore, then beg the question, well, why am I a Christian? And friends, this is part of what this passage identifies. It identifies uh, various groups of people who have an encounter with the person Jesus Christ, and some come to him for one reason, some come to him for another reason, And what we find is that this passage is unpacking the differences in the power that we seek. The differences in the power that we seek. You see, uh, the sons of Sceva mentioned here, they desired power. Paul, I believe, desired power. But there was a profound difference between them. You see, the sons of Sceva here came, they desired to identify uh, with Jesus Christ. Paul identified to desire to identify with Jesus Christ, but there was a profound difference in what they experienced. And I want to try to unpack that for us together this morning. I'm doing that under three points. Number one, counterfeit power. Number two, genuine power. And then thirdly, the fruit of power. So let's look at it together. Number one, counterfeit power. So what's happening is that Uh, Verse 11 uses this word extraordinary, and God was doing extraordinary miracles. These were so a miracle by definition is extraordinary, right? That's why we call it a miracle. But the the writer here adds this other word, extraordinary miracles. And that's because you see, in the New Testament, Jesus came and he performed all these healings. He even raised a man from the dead. Okay, Paul comes, and now he's doing all these healings. He even actually participates in a resurrection. But now the miracles are to such an extent that simply a fabric that once touched Paul now has power coming out of it. Okay, this is next level stuff here going on. And it's interesting because Jesus said to uh, his hearers, he said, you know, uh, very truly I tell to you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And friends, I believe that this passage here is the fulfillment of what Jesus was talking about, even greater things, right? It says that the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were being carried away to the sick and their diseases were leaving them and the evil spirits were coming out of them. And so, kids, I want to help you uh, understand this. Does anyone know what it means to be counterfeit? Any, you know what it means to be counterfeit? All right. Well, I'm going to tell you. So we have these vending machines across the way there that my kids are not allowed to use, okay? And uh, a dollar bill, if you put a dollar bill on that machine, you can get a bag of chips or something like that, right? Um, But sometimes, I used to always get annoyed at this, you put the dollar bill in, and sometimes the machine rejects it, right? So there is a whole industry of people who are trying to 
produce dollars that will work, but they're not actually, they don't, those dollars don't belong to them, and that's called counterfeit money. So I want to invite up a, a volunteer to see if they can maybe work for the Secret Service. Yes, come on up, young lady. All right. And what is your name? Vienna. All right. Well, Vienna, um, do you ever desire to work for the federal government? No? Why not? You don't know. Well, if you change your mind, there is a branch of the federal government called the Secret Service. And the Secret Service uh, tries to find people who are producing fake money. So I want to be able to tell whether you could work for the Secret Service by identifying fake money. So here's what I have. I have two dollar bills, right? One is real and one is fake. I wonder if you could identify which is the real one. Are you sure? How sure are you? 100%? Okay. Let's put the fake one on the screen to see if she got it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, well done. Give it a hand for Vienna. How about you get to keep the real dollar? All right. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I, I tried to use this to, uh, for our town payment for the church, and um, I will be visited in prison here shortly. So this is what's going on. Uh, there's such thing as real money, and then there's counterfeit money. And in the scriptures, similarly, there's real power, and then there's counterfeit power. There's power that uh, is not authentic. And that's what's being brought out here in this passage. So we're introduced to, in verse 13, it says, to a group of itinerant Jewish exorcists who undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's interesting, these folks are described as being sons of a high priest. One commentator actually argues that the Greek there is actually getting at the chief priest. I, you know, it's a little bit above my pay grade to say, but suffice it to say that these uh, people were used to calling what we call calling rank, right? They were uh, at a high position in life based on their family connections. And apparently they had a business, so to speak, of going around and using power to see things happen. And as they heard about Paul, uh, they, they saw kind of next level power going on, right? Paul didn't have to go and to do some sort of incantation. Simply aprons or handkerchiefs that had come into physical contact with him were now carrying the power and all sorts of things were happening. And um, what goes on here is that these folks hear of this and they say, you know what, this is great. Uh, we're going to do the same thing that Paul's doing and see if you know, our, our sort of exorcism business can go to the next level. And so they decide, rightly so, to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, right? So uh, exorcists back in that, those days had various formula, formulae of how to approach the encounter of an evil spirit. And they had, you know, I adjure you by this name or I adjure you by that name. And so they started to see Paul's incredible success, and they said, you know, we're going we're gonna to try this. We're going to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus, just like Paul does, and see what happens in our uh, instance. And what happens, of course, is that the evil spirits responded to uh, these uh, men by saying, I, um, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And then verse 16 says, And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered them all, 
and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And friends, what's going on here is that, you know, these folks got the formula right, didn't they? On one level, they got it right. They got the right name. They said the right things. And they got the snot beaten out of them, basically. Okay. They the right name, right, right formula. They got absolutely pummeled and then humiliated. That's, I think, what, what is trying to be said here. They flee out of the house and news of this reaches all sorts of ends of the place there. And uh, what we find is that there was a very significant difference between the power that Paul had and the power that these men were seeking to exercise. And you know who could tell the difference, of course? The demons could tell the difference. They always can tell the difference. And they, you know, they, they're sort of like the secret service. If you hold up, you know, a fake dollar to me, I might not be able to tell, unlike Vienna. Right, but the Secret Service—they have these special tools, and they can tell very quickly whether something is fake or is uh, authentic. And likewise, the demons, as they are encountering these men, they can tell whether something is fake or is authentic. And so, I want to now look at what it means to have authentic power. Okay, all right. So, kids, uh, I want you to draw. Um, I want you to draw your own dollar. Let's do that. Draw your own dollar with your own face on it as a counterfeit money here. And then you also have some questions on your sheet to look at as well. Okay. So, genuine power. What is Christian genuine power? And that's what Paul, of course, was experiencing. That's what he was doing. That's what was different than uh, what these folks were attempting to do. And it's interesting because so much in the scripture surrounds a narrative of power. Okay, I was reflecting on, you know, going through the Old Testament into the New Testament. So much of the scripture, actually, if you look at it uh, sort of from this light, surrounds a discussion about power. We see it in the beginning, right? Genesis chapter 1 is this incredible display of God's power simply by speaking words. They come, things come into being, right? And we move over to Genesis chapter 3, and uh, this man and this woman are belonging to God. They're enjoying his creation. Uh, this, the devil comes up to them, and he says, you know, has God really said that you shall not eat from any tree? Of course, that wasn't the case. And they said, no, there's just this one tree we can't eat from or touch. If we do, the day we eat of it, we'll surely die. And the devil says, you will not surely die. But God knows that if you take from it, that you'll be like him, knowing good and evil. And friends, what is he saying there? He's saying, if you take from this tree, you will no longer need God. You'll be autonomous. Now, really fascinating study, as I was reading, came out a couple of years ago about power in the workplace, right? Folks seeking advancement in position that gave them more power in the workplace. And it was interesting because in this study, what they found is that the vast majority of people that desired promotion, right, that desired to have more responsibility in the workplace, did not do so simply for the raw power that came with that position, right? The vast majority of people did not desire uh, more 
rank simply for the raw power that came with that position. In fact, the vast majority of people that desire promotion as their desire, right, was found in the word autonomy. That folks were desiring uh, promotion, not because they longed to be able to tell people what to do, but because they wanted to be more autonomous, have more freedom than they currently had in their own position. That's what this study came to, uh, came to discover. And I was thinking about this and thought, you know, isn't that the same thing that was going on in Genesis chapter 2, right? If you follow my leadership, you can have more autonomy than if you follow God's, right? That was sort of the, uh, the carrot that they were following. And I was thinking about this because as I think about the spiritual power that I long to experience, that I long for you to experience, the things that I long uh, for God to say yes to in your lives, I'm reminded that the practices of Jesus Christ look so incredibly different than the power that our world comes to know. It's interesting because, as I was saying, if you walk through Scripture, you'll notice that this narrative goes throughout the entirety of it. So, for example, in the Exodus, God says, I'm going to raise up Pharaoh to resist me so that my power can go out throughout the whole earth, that the the reputation of my power will go out throughout the whole earth. It's interesting also in the New Testament, when Paul talks about uh, the existence of evil, of Satan and demons, he uses this word over and over and over again. He calls them powers of darkness or powers and authorities. And so much of the spiritual conflict is primarily a conflict of power. But when it comes to Christian power, we find that it is so different. So for example, the disciples of Jesus had learned to cast out evil spirits. They had learned to experience their own form of spiritual power, but they come across a case that they are not able to figure out. In Matthew chapter 17, they come across this person, and they're not able to cast out the spirits that are inside of him. Jesus comes, casts out the spirit, and they go to Jesus, and they say, why couldn't we cast out this spirit? The other ones were fine. This one's not. And Jesus has this to say. He says, you know, this kind, Matthew 17, 21, does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And friends, what we find uh, in the writings of Paul, someone who experienced the authentic power of Christ, he indicates that the way this power works actually puts things on its head. So, for example, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Jesus will say to Paul, he'll say, my strength or my power, right, is perfected in weakness. The power of Christ comes not by strength, but it actually comes by weakness. You know, it's interesting, the exorcists, I think, wanted to build a business. They wanted to learn their craft. They wanted to master the wielding of names, the wielding in this case, particularly of Christ's name. But Paul, on the other hand, found that he was mastered by another and gave himself to that other. Paul found that he encountered someone to whom he could entrust himself. He did not encounter a power that was to be wielded, but he encountered a power that would choose to wield him as his vessel. And that is the way that Christian power, genuine power, tends to operate. 
And so kids, what I want you guys to do is to draw a picture of the cross, and then I want you to draw a picture of yourself kneeling down before the cross and laying down the list of the things that you want, okay? And for the rest of us, what I would like us to do is think about this question, right? As you think about the things that you want from the hands of the Lord, as I asked you earlier, as you, and as I think about the kind of power that I long to see in your lives and my life together, I want you to ask this question. Am I a Christian today or am I drawn to Christianity because of the instrument that Christ will be to me? Right? Do I long to simply see Christ as a means to an end, as an instrument through which I might receive the things that I want? Or do I see Jesus Christ as someone who overwhelms and wields me? Right? It's interesting because as I was thinking about this question of why is it that some of us find ourselves so empty, some of us have believed in Christ for a long time, but we find ourselves so empty, so defeated, right? Some of us even walk away from the claims of Christianity. It reaches such an extent. Why is that? Why is it that some of us feel like we've been sold a bill of goods? And friends, I believe the answer is that we came to Christ primarily seeing him as an instrument to getting other things. In fact, I've even had people tell me this, right? I thought if I did it right, if I went to church, if I gave my money, right? If I did my family devotions, which are great, by the way, wonderful offering this morning, that things were guaranteed to turn out this way that I was guaranteed to have from God what I wanted, right? And if that doesn't happen, if things don't turn out the way that we expect, some of us will look Jesus Christ in the eyes and say, how dare you? How dare you not respond to me in the way that I expect you to do? And we walk away. Sadly, I've seen that happen on more occasions than I would care to admit. And friends, therefore, as we think about who Jesus Christ is, as we think about this passage, as we think about those things that we want, my simple plea for you today is to recognize those things in your life where you are treating the creator of heaven and earth, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, as an instrument, not as God himself. And that we would together come to him face to face, as it were, not to master him or to wield him as some weapon, but to be wielded by him, to find strength and weakness, to find power in entrusting ourselves, to experience what I believe Paul experienced. You know, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, Paul is commenting on this, and he says, I long to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And he said, and I'm willing to become conformed to his death, if that's what it takes. I'm willing to know his sufferings, if that's what it takes. And friends, I hate to tell you, but that is what it takes. It is what it takes to know Christ as he is, means that we radically entrust ourselves to his care, no matter where that takes us, even in Paul's words, being conformed to his death. So we have counterfeit power, right? Power that we seek to wield for our own purposes. We have genuine power, power that comes from Christ, primarily 
through weakness. And then we have, lastly, the fruit of power. And what's interesting about this story, right, is that these men were seeking to build their sort of exorcism empire. They encounter evil, and evil appears to win in this case as it beats the snot out of these men. They walk away. There's an incredible display of the power of Satan in this passage. And you would be tempted to think, my goodness, what is going on here? This is awful. But then what we come to see as the passage unfolds is that something reminiscent of a revival begins to take place, right? And it's uh, characterized by this language of 50,000 pieces of silver, an enormous amount of property is sort of offered back to the Lord as these books of magic and divination and other things are burned. Just interesting, of course, because our town happens to be having, I don't know if you've heard, <laughs> a mass burning tonight, right? But I don't think that that burning is primarily going to be books of divination. We'll see, right? But that is what was experienced here. So on one hand, evil encounters the sons of Sceva, the power that these men are wielding is fake and has no hold over evil itself. Evil appears to prevail, but then the purposes of God are accomplished in a profound way, aren't they? Right? After these men are beaten and leave, a revival springs forth in this town that is seen in the culmination of this mass offering up, this mass confessing of sins, this mass burning of magic arts. What is going on here? And friends, what I think is going on is that we're seeing in this passage a picture of the way that God works, right? There was another time when evil appeared to win, wasn't there? Does anyone know? Kids, do you guys know anywhere in the Bible where a man was beaten by the forces of the evil, was stripped naked, and evil appeared to win. Does anyone know any time in the Bible when that happened? Anyone know? Okay, this, does anyone know a Sunday school answer to every question you're ever asked in Sunday school? Yes, young man. That's right, when Jesus Christ was crucified. Think about this. Here's Jesus Christ, and unlike the sons of Sceva, he has the real deal. He has the real power. He wields the real stuff. But the forces of evil have their way with him. He's beaten. He's wounded. He's stripped naked. He's put up on a cross, which was designed to maximize humiliation. And evil appears to have its way with him. But in the plan of God, in the purposes of the divine, that is the way through which evil is overthrown. Uh, evil thinks that it is having its way with God, uh, sucks him down into the depths of the earth, and then it looks at Jesus Christ destroying death by death. A man named John Owen wrote a book called The Death of Death in the Death of Christ. That the death of Christ is that culmination of spiritual power through which the kingdom of Satan would be overthrown. And so, kids, what I want you to do is draw a, uh, another cross, and underneath it, write these words, Satan's plans, as the cross is defeating them. 
And so uh, friends, kids, my simple plea to you today, wherever you are on the spectrum of belief, whether you're a Christian today or you're most certainly not or you're not sure, my simple plea is that you would take a fresh look at the cross of Jesus Christ, that you would take a fresh look of the Savior presented in the Scriptures, that you would examine these claims, and you would ask the question, am I coming to Christ so that I might use Him to purchase other things, or am I coming to Christ as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, offering up myself to be wielded by Him for His purposes? And friends, I have no doubt in my mind that the kind of joy that you long for, the joy that's underneath whatever those things are that you asked for, that you're asking God for this Advent season, that is found in his presence, not by using him as a means. I long for you. I long for all of you to know that joy. I long for all of you to have what you ultimately long for. I long for this town to have it as well. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I praise you, Holy Spirit. We adore you. And I pray for this congregation, for these kids, and for this city, that we would experience a profound movement of your Holy Spirit in power. I pray, O Christ, that we would never seek to wield you, but that you would always wield us. I pray for those of us who find ourselves cynical, bitter, disappointed, uh, as the way that we think things ought to have gone and the way that we believe they ought to have gone have been very different in your plan. I pray that each of us would find in our own weakness the power of Christ. And I pray that your power would go forth in our lives and our families and our city to do incredible and profound things. I pray that each and every one of us would have the privilege of experiencing your power in your presence this day. We pray it through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand?